0: A lot of people talk about experiencing God. And you see advertisements. I've seen it for Christian groups playing music, church events, revivals. Come experience God. Well, way over here I was thinking, this is this right here, what I'm doing right now, standing behind this pulpit, should not be what defines my relationship with God. To come to church is to worship and to fellowship. And obviously, the Holy Ghost moves and he meets with us. I saw that Sunday morning. Bless my heart. Picks us up and carries us on. You hear words of testimony and you know that it's real and you know that it's right and you know that it's spirit-filled. But it's not just an experience. I'm coming into God's house to carry on what I've been feeding on in this last week. I'm going to start on Sunday morning a new week with the Lord, not just out of a desire for an experience. And so that's not necessarily what I'm going to talk about tonight, but the truth is that's how a lot of people treat Jesus and their knowledge of Jesus is it's just an experience. It's just a feeling. And that's not how our relationship should be with our Savior. It's just almost like people talk about a celebrity. Roy Williams lives up there in Kenmere, right? You get around Roy Williams, and it's kind of an experience, I would imagine. You're around somebody with a position. You're around somebody with uh, influence. You're around somebody who coached for uh, a basketball team with a terrible color, but he had some success, right? He had a lot of success. It's an an experience. You don't get that every day. Jesus is not like a celebrity that we just experience. Getting to be around, oh, I got to see Jesus. I got to meet Jesus. He signed something for me. You know, I got to shake his hand. I got to take a picture with him. That's not how our relationship with Jesus should be. Rather, our relationship with him would be like going home every day. I'm going home to see Jesus. I'm going home to dwell with Jesus. I'm going home to be with Jesus. Jesus is in the car with me on the way over there. He's on the job site with me. He's he's anywhere and everywhere I go. But where where do we start to get there? Or what, what is required to get there? Well, it's knowing and understanding and experiencing and living and dwelling with him each and every day. And I think... That's why a lot of people, and this is where I was, my disclaimer here, I'm not trying to be mean or rude, but I think that's why a lot of people have such flat relationships with God is because they're relying on an experience. Well, I'm going to go back and see him. I'm going to go back and experience it. And it turns into an emotional type thing. Of Just, I need it. I need to go fill up. We're, we're here and we have the ability to fill up every day with Jesus. And his truth and his word is revealed to us about him and who he is and and, and what he's done, what he's achieved, and what we're promised and what we're told is provided in his precious word. So tonight we look at our Savior, Matthew 27, beginning in verse number 11. We are at the point here where Jesus is appearing before Pilate and this court that Will ultimately commit to turning upon him and calling for his crucifixion, and they will see that done. This is a court that was out for blood. These were people that were angry, and rarely does anything good come from an angry crowd of people. Beginning in verse number 11, look with us there, Matthew 27. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Thinking about our Savior here, as he stands before Pilate, he speaks there, he says, thou sayest, was his response, and we'll look at another response in just a moment, a question that he asked Pilate. But I was dwelling on these scriptures and these thoughts, and I was thinking of how our Savior, he's here, a few thoughts first of how he is, to the prompting of his persecution over in Luke 23 verse 2 the Bible says and they began to accuse him saying we found this fellow perverting the nation and and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar saying that he himself is Christ a king and so the prompting of this persecution that we see comes from the anger that the chief priest and the Pharisees and These religious groups had against Jesus for a number of things, and they accused him of perverting the nation and the things that he taught because in their uh, religious minds and their legalistic minds and their uh, uh, liberal minds or whatever minds that they had, those mindsets that they had did not allow the truth of Jesus to move into their hearts. They, They rejected the truth of Jesus, and we see that even today now is how that people... Uh, knowingly and sometimes unknowingly reject Jesus because they can't get their theology in line with what the Bible says. And we must be careful that we... Uh, now, we're all going to have uh, wrong wrong ideas and wrong thoughts about the Bible at times, amen? I mean, I, I, I've told people, man, I find some early sermon notes, I find some, uh, some early uh, um, uh, outlines and, and thoughts, things I had spent a lot of time on early on in my ministry, and I'm thinking... This will keep you humble right here because I was dead wrong about all three points. My, my introduction wasn't even any good. And so if you're not careful, uh, you will. Uh, and, and obviously it comes with maturity. It comes with learning. It comes with growth. And, and even to this day, uh, we must be careful as we feel sometimes that we've achieved a certain uh, amount of knowledge. We, we be- believe that we've achieved uh, or understand the skeleton work of the Gospels or the Epistles or the Old Testament uh, as we understand and know these things, we must be careful because if we're uh, not cautious and we're not careful, we can think, think our own thoughts and put our own thoughts in the word of God. I heard Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite preachers, uh, on the way over here, he was talking about how anything, he said, you, you, you know, he's preaching the word of God and he's talking about how, uh, he says, you know, some here un- under the sound of my voice are no doubt trying to find fault with what I'm saying. And he said, I guarantee you that you can and it kind of took me off guard, the man's preaching the gospel. He said the reason that is is because if you're not careful, if you come into the church and you're looking to find fault somewhere, you will find it. If you come to the church and you're looking to find God, you will find him, if God's in that church. So the reality and the, the truth is, is we will find what we want to find in the word of God. And we must be cautious. That's why the Holy Ghost gives us spiritual discernment. We pray and we seek spiritual discernment to, Lord, reveal to me and show to me. And that is certainly not something that was happening with these accusers. Now, some people like to cast off the whole uh, Jewish nation because of uh, this fact that there were uh, many of the Jews that rejected him. And certainly as a, as a, uh, as a religion and, a, and looking at it now, there's countless Jews that have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But there are certainly many Jews and we find many records and we find the Gospels telling us that, that the, the, all the books in the world could not contain all the records of all of those that did turn to him and did believe in him. You see some believed and some didn't. And so the, the prompting of his persecution were those that didn't. Those that found fault with what our Savior Said and they believed he was perverting this nation. Also, it says there in Luke twenty three two and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. They they tried to make him and present him as a as a revolutionary. You see, the the Romans they weren't necessarily uh, they they didn't treat they, they wanted people to conform to their ideas and their mindsets. I mean, what government doesn't? And so, if they weren't able to sway the Ideas and the mindset of the Roman government by how the Jews had been treated. Well, let's paint Jesus as a revolutionary figure. And that was not who Jesus was. And we'll read that in just a moment. Saying that he himself is Christ the king. Well, he did say that. He 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 said he's the Messiah. He said he was God. And they did not have room in their hearts. And they did not have room in, in their finite minds. And they did not have room in their souls to accept that and believe that. They just couldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it. Not that it wasn't offered. It was offered. It was presented. It was said, but they could not find it to believe it. So the the prompting of this persecution is based off of lies. And our Savior, he stands here before Pilate because of lies. What a a slanderous and wicked thing that is, that the God of heaven is standing before his glorious creation because of lies. Uh, in, In a position that he realizes and he knows that he must lay down his life and be tormented and beaten and hung up on a cross and die it's a very sad picture and a sad scene which we'll see in just a moment a verse i've shared with some even in this church today because of how it struck my heart on how low and desperate the human human existence is and so the prompting of persecution next the prophecy of his personality and so we see Jesus my thought here that we're looking at is how Jesus stands as a lamb as a lamb in the book of Isaiah 53 we preached on this just a little bit uh, Sunday night It, it excites me and it makes me happy to look into Isaiah 53 and there in Isaiah 53 the prophet says He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He does his duty and he does it without a fight or an argument. Now we see there it says uh, his response thou sayest. We find a recording we'll read just here in a moment in the book of John of a question that he asked or uh, a, a, a question that he gives back to Pilate but... He stands there and it's given as that lamb and you see and if you've ever sheared a lamb, lambs, they, they'll they'll fight a little bit, but this spotless lamb, he didn't. He didn't have any complaints, he didn't have any words, he didn't have any hatred, he didn't have any anger, he didn't have any response that... That, that he was going to throw back on Pilate, and you think about how Jesus could call could have called down all the legions of heaven and destroyed the earth, and, and just the thought. I mean, so I, I've always said just he just had to speak a word, but I mean, he could just think it, and it would be in existence that he would destroy all those that would try to uh, to try to anger anger against him and kill him. But he knew that this prophecy would need to be fulfilled, and he knew and he understand that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. So he comes like a lamb, and what prompted his persecution was lies. And the prophecy of his personality confirms to me that he is who he says he is. The Bible literally tells us that he would come and like a lamb, as a sheep before a shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And he does exactly what the prophets tell us. And what a beautiful and wonderful thing that is that we have faith in our Savior because he was God when Isaiah, before Isaiah was even a twinkle in his parents' eyes. Before the foundation of the earth, he was God. Uh, He he was dwelling there with God his Father when the earth was nothing but darkness and void. Before our minds can even comprehend what uh, what this this universe was like or or who God uh, uh, was at that time, and we know he doesn't change, but but what God was doing, we'll never know and understand upon this earth. Jesus was there. Jesus was God. He was existent. And all these years and all these times, all this time that passes by, Isaiah comes and he prophesies and Ezekiel comes and he prophesies and all these other prophets come and they prophesy and they tell about the one who will come and in each and every way and form and fashion, the prophecy of his personality is fulfilled and he is exactly who the Old Testament tells us that he would be. And that's why we can have faith in our Savior next thought thought that I had under under that, I've got something I really want to get to, so I'm trying to hurry. We see this, verse 11, he says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. It's also recorded in John chapter 18, where we see Jesus say, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? That own nation and the, the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm going to read it one more time. My kingdom is not of this world. This is confirming to Pilate that he is not here to overthrow the Roman government. But that one day his government and his kingdom would be established to rule and reign forever and ever. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world. That I should bear witness unto the truth, every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. You see what Jesus is saying in the last part of those verses is that he's patiently awaiting the coming of his kingdom. And when you begin to think about that, our Savior and how he, he, he's persecuted for uh, and lied about for everything that he's not. Yet his personality and what he says and what he does confirms everything that he, the Old Testament tells us he would be. And then on this side of things, the presentation of his kingdom is revealed. And we realize that what is withholding him from establishing his kingdom at this very point is love for you and me. That kingdom is not ready. Things have not been fulfilled. There's one person that will draw breath. And they they may be drawing breath at this very moment. They may be born in in 20 years or 1,000 years. But there will be the last person that will accept Jesus as their Savior and one day, one day, he knows. He can number the hairs on your head. He can number the, 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 the grains of sand. I mean, he knows. And when it's done, it's done. And then his kingdom will be established. What a beautiful thing it is that our God, the God, the creator of this earth, has patience. Yet we do not a lot of times. He has patience. Because of his love and his mercy. And what a beautiful picture that is. So our Savior here, like a lamb. We see this lamb is persecuted. We see the personality of this lamb. And we also see the lamb presenting his kingdom. What a beautiful thing it is to prove to us. And see, the, 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 what, I, what I was getting at about people's experience with religion is that's all it is. It's an experience. It's just a feeling, an emotion. But we can read these verses and we can read these words. And if you have faith in Christ, you have the capacity to know that they are true. And if you do not have faith in Christ at this moment, through the conviction of the Holy Ghost of God, you can come to the faith to know that these things are true. But what a beautiful thing it is that I can go back and I can look at my Savior and I can feel the pain of his persecution and how it pains me and hurts me that someone would lie against him and how I can look and I can see how he was prophesied and how beautiful we talk about prophecy and I and and I love the conversations about prophecy because to me because of who I am that's what just proves God to me we see things unfold we see things come to pass and it's just an amazing thing to know that God is God and it proves it to me And it's a beautiful thing, and it secures my heart and my faith and my love when he presents his kingdom. And we begin to understand that his kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. He was here to seek and save that which was lost. He was coming for people just like you and just like me. And one day, one day, he will establish his kingdom. And he will be completely justified. And how merciful has he been that he has let time continue and continue and continue and people spit in his face and people sin against him. And that's why I want more than just an experience with God. I want a life walking with him. I want a, a day in and day out relationship that when I come to church, I'm filled up. Amen. That I'm not just coming in here to just to get a feeling and go home. But I'm walking in this church building charged up and ready to go and hooking up with each of you and that what a light can shine the more batteries come together, amen. I got a new, I got a new, me and my brother, my dad bought me and my brother and my uncle and himself a new uh, spotlight for Christmas. And Christmas night or Christmas Eve night, 10.30, we're out there shining all four of them out in the field just because that's what boys do. Man, I mean, you could, we could land a plane in this hay field. Man, what happens when you get light together? When you get light together, man, you can really shine across the community. You can shine up and down the road. You know, there are people that live on Mountain View Church Road that don't know Jesus. I know a lot of them are sitting in here. But there's somebody right here that doesn't know Jesus. There's somebody out on 25 that don't know Jesus. There's somebody on 26 that don't know Jesus. There's somebody in Asheville that don't know Jesus. There's somebody on Highway 63 out in Leicester that don't know Jesus. somebody on Pine and Road that don't know Jesus. What a lot can do when we come together. But if we don't come together charged up and excited about this Savior, how do we expect to reach the world? Next, look with me at verse 16. I'm trying to hurry. So good. I love the, these verses. <clears throat> verse 16. And, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, "Who, Whom will ye that I release unto you Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him." But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. What a terrible, terrible condition for human beings. That the one that, that we... You see, there were times in history during the Dark Ages where people didn't have a Bible. I mean, they didn't. P, normal people didn't have the word of God. That's the reason that there was a reformation. That's the reason a lot of people were killed. There's a reason that there were a lot of wars. The Baptist church just per- persisted and fought so hard, and many people died to survive through history, to try to, try to get us what we have, and we're so ungrateful. Uh, any of us, we, we can find in ourselves just being ungrateful for what we have because we have so much. There's a lot of things and a lot of ideas that came out and historical days because people didn't have the word of god but this was a day when the jewish people had the reveal had the revealed it wouldn't be his full revelation but it had been a a tried and true revealed word of god telling them when how why and i mean down to god god does things He's particular right he had particular particularly Told them how he would come, how he would live, how he would die. All I mean, it explained about his heritage. It explained who he would come from and who would, who he would be born of, and 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 that his mother would be a virgin. And it, they had all these things. They had been preached all these things. Yet it was the Jews that said in the end of verse twenty one, they said Barabbas. So we looked at the lamb, and then we see this event turning into how Barabbas is chosen over the lamb I want you to think about two truths that are mirrored in Barabbas being chosen over Jesus the first thing is that it breaks my heart to report the willingness of Jesus to sacrifice himself for a sinner it breaks my heart that he had to die that such a perfect being God himself was, was scourged and beaten and spat upon. He was rejected by his own people. It's so terrible. It's so sad. But it's such a blessing because he did it for you and he did it for me. And so first lesson that we learn from this story of Barabbas is the willingness of Jesus to sacrifice himself for a sinner. But here's what breaks my heart even more than thinking about what my Savior would endure is the willingness of the world to sacrifice Jesus for a sinner. I'm going to say that one more time. The willingness of the world to sacrifice Jesus for a sinner. They were willing to let a deadbeat thief back out on the street amongst their children, amongst their community. Barabbas had probably robbed some of them. Barabbas would probably go to rob some of them. We we, we don't know. But the willingness of people to reject Jesus for a sinner. Now we'll get to just a moment why this applies to us as Christians. Because I believe we're like Barabbas. Jesus died on the cross that that had our name written on it. Amen. He took our place. But how quickly and how easily these people that they knew the truth, they had been told the truth. They had been told that the Messiah would come. They had been told in detail all these particular things about him. Yet when God sends him, when when God comes down and becomes man, they reject him because of sin. What do we preach on Sunday? About being blinded by the God of this world? Being blinded by the God of this world will cause you to reject Jesus for sin. It will. We will reject all the good things and all the amazing things. And we will turn those things down because of sin. Because we're blinded by sin. So Barabbas is chosen over this lamb. This last thought tonight would have been on my heart all day. What I'd like to share with you for just a moment. Never could two messages be any different than Sunday night and tonight. I just, I preach. I told Shelby, I was like, I'm going to have to rein it in a little bit. I'm having too much fun. But nonetheless, I like to joke and have fun. But what a serious thought it is, thinking of our Savior. He's trading places with a sinner just like you and me. Look Look with me there in verse 22, beginning of verse 22 through 26. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But he cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. He's the only person there with any sense. You see, he he realized, and I believe we look back and we see how uh, they, they, tried, they they tried to lie about Jesus as this being this one that would cause this revolution and try to overthrow the The Roman government, that wasn't what Jesus was for. His kingdom was not of this world. Uh, That wasn't his goal. That's not his goal today. Uh, We're rolling into 2024, and if we're not careful, uh, we'll have hopes for uh, what the the end of this year uh, will be, and and that's okay to have hopes. I hope some things go down in November uh, that will change some things in our lives, amen. Uh, But the reality is, is the things that will happen in November mean nothing of an eternal sense. They mean nothing. They do not at all. And that Jesus, what Jesus means and the kingdom that he is here to establish will supersede every government and every party and every people and every idea and every president and every power and every principality because he's the one that allowed them to come to power. Amen. So his kingdom's not of this world. That doesn't concern him. That does not matter. But what is so heartbreaking is that people are willing to kill Jesus to save sin because they're blind. And that's why we're in such desperate need of jesus and so he's sentenced to this criminal's death his punishment here uh, uh, pilate washes his hands he says i'm innocent of the blood of this just person the only way that you'll be able to wash your hands is by realizing admitting and repenting that the one that died upon the cross for your sins was just harmless and perfect that's the only way to be cleansed you must realize and repent And speak those things. Otherwise, you're just in the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, hey, my sins put Jesus on the cross. Even though he was born, lived, and died 2,000 years before I ever existed, my sins still put him on the cross. It's my fault. But I thank God that he saw fit because of his love and his compassion and his mercy on his people and his patience that he came and he lived and he died and he traded places with a no-count dirty sinner and he died on that man's cross and he was evangelizing and telling his story on the cross and there's a man beside him that I'll get to see in heaven one day. What a blessing that is. Barabbas is chosen over him. he's been sentenced to a criminal's death. The punishment can never match the crime especially since there was not a crime committed. But he got the most terrible punishment imaginable. Crucifixion you may recall this was reserved for the death of a criminal yet the spotless and innocent and perfect lamb hung upon that cross. This was a Almost public event where one would suffer until they could bear the pain and torture no more. This multitude that's around him, they double down on their attention to see him die. This is how much they hated the truth. This is how much they sought to destroy our Savior. Think about the effects of this choice. Verse 25 has been on my heart all day. Verse 24, Pilate says, I'm innocent of, this, of the blood of this just person. See you to it. And 25 says, then answered all the people, don't miss this, and said, his blood be on us and our children. See, that's the effects of sin. Not only is that a separation from God, is that we get so arrogant because of our sin and in our blindness and our wickedness that we're okay. Anybody remember when preachers used to preach against a band called ACDC? Somebody in here has been to a youth rally where some preacher preached against ACDC, right? I'm thinking, every time I get in the truck with my uncle, that's all we listen to. Am I going? I told my mom, "Am I going to go to hell?" He's a rocker. And I get—I remember getting so angry and frustrated and mad. And man, they preach on a song called "Highway to Hell" and a song called "Hell's Bells." That's the most amens I got on Wednesday, not in a month and a half. I'd been here most of it. But they preach on those songs, and I'd get so mad because I—man, God knows I ain't on a highway to hell. And then God convicted me one day, if you're on a highway to heaven, why are you associating like this with the world? And why are you glorifying and celebrating with people that feel that way about these things? And so what I began to learn is that, hey, there's some people, that's their idea and that's their mindset. And and you hear it and, and you swell up in pride and the devil loves those types of things. And I never thought I'd be a preacher preaching against ACDC. But the truth is I've realized over time That people that are blinded and full of wickedness are proud of dying and going to hell. And I can get on a lot of different people in a lot of different places doing that. I hear people, man, we'll we'll all be in hell together. We'll, We'll raise Cain. You are out of your mind. That's the most foolish thing anyone could ever say. To be excited to go to hell is such a terrible, terrible thing and a terrible, terrible thought. And now I realize and I understand, my goodness, how scary it is to hear these things and see these things. You see, that spirit is found right here in this verse. They said, then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. To be excited to go to hell says, hey, I'll take the blood of Jesus. Put it on me. And curse my children too. See that, that's what sin does. That is the greatest thing that sin accomplishes for the devil. Is that damnation is on any that accept Jesus Christ. And each and every boy, girl born into, boy and girl born into this earth. Because of their sin nature. Are doomed for that same eternity without Christ. And how sad it is that his very people that had his very word are standing there crying out, hey, let his blood be on us. Let his blood be on our children. How foolish is that? How foolish is that mindset and that attitude? The effects of this choice was that innocent blood was taken on by wicked men. By our sin and iniquity, we are responsible for his death and his torment. My sin and my iniquity puts his blood on me, and what a terrible thing it would be to stand before God and give an account without a merciful and loving Savior to say he's been washed clean by me. That's how much he loves us. Those people standing there, see, he's he. Remember, he's like a lamb. He's like a lamb, quiet, didn't have a word to say. Some people, when they get mad, they don't say a word. I don't think that's the case with Jesus. I think it's his love and his compassion that he was willing to humble himself to that position, that he stood there and he listened to his creation, that he loved so much, that he sacrificed. And you realize those people that that stood there and said, his blood be on us and and on our children, he loved them so much. Those people, Barabbas, that uh, I guess in my mind I always imagine, I guess I've watched too many movies, but I always imagine Jesus and Barabbas crossing in a hallway somewhere. Barabbas without any chains on and Jesus chained up. Can you, could you imagine that? That's what I've always thought in my mind. Could you imagine that scene? Barabbas walking by knowing he's free. He's an arrogant thief and a criminal. The thing about criminals is they're not that smart. I'd say he probably strutted out of that court. But Jesus walks by and he sees Barabbas and he loves him so much and he knows and he realizes and in his heart he's so ready and so prepared to go lay down his life to die for Barabbas. And he's so, he, he, he knows that part of, part of this plan, part of what has been uh, coming on all these years would be that he would live and that he would die and he would be beaten and tormented and all these things he would endure and go through were for those people that said his blood be on us and on our children. That's how much he loved. Yet so many reject the love of our Savior. How how unfortunate it is. Sent us to a criminal's death. Verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is that point like in my mind, they maybe cross paths. Jesus goes, begins to be mocked and beaten and crucified. And Barabbas goes free. You see, we like Barabbas, we've been released from the condemnation of the cross. But we must accept it. And and it's a good thing to remember. I, I believe, I've talked to everyone in here. I believe we have a testimony of salvation. We have a testimony of belief. But if we ever forget That we're Barabbas. That he took our place on the cross. Man, we forget the love of our Savior. If we ever forget that he stood there and he endured all these things because of his love and his compassion and his mercy towards you and towards me. You see, if he was, if Jesus' nature, as our Savior, was pure anger and judgment. Now, he's a God of judgment. He's a God of anger, rightfully so. But he's also a God of love and mercy. If his ministry to mankind was anger and judgment, he would have just destroyed the world. But he was born of a virgin by his choice and by his love. And he traded places with a sinner like you and me. And if we want to stay humble... We get up and look in that mirror and think, there stands Barabbas. There stands Barabbas. There were days I strutted out of the court, people chanting my name, knowing I was going to go take from them and rob from them and do them wrong, and a just and an honest man was hung on my cross that I deserved. You say, well, how is God fair? How is God good? How is God merciful? If if I'm doomed... Before I'm I'm even born. The beautiful thing is we're not. He has a plan and a way. Paved by his son Jesus Christ. Exemplified on the cross. And perfected in the resurrection. We're not doomed. We have hope. We're blinded. If we'll only see and accept it.